one way or another, perhaps you will get involved with all of this, either through teaching or reading or whatever. I'm simply going to be teaching from my own book, and I put in some, for instances, that I have experientially been involved with. Everything dies without a for instance. We all know that. And the reason this is brown and this is gray is because this is the old printing and this is the new fifth printing. All right? I changed the color scheme. Apart from that, the material is exactly the same. I'd like you to stand just for the reading of the word of the Lord this morning. There is a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. <coughs> and this scripture says in 2 Timothy 3 and 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If there was ever an hour when we needed the gifts of the Spirit, it is now at the end time. A lot of people say, well, they needed those gifts in the beginning because of all the things they faced. We face far more now than they faced then. Not that sin is any more evil now than it was then. Man has always been the same. Man has never changed from the Garden of Eden. The Bible is true when it says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's what you're dealing with when you deal with humanity. The Bible says that about a human heart. And even hearts in the church that do not stay prayed through have the capabilities of reducing themselves to that particular plateau. And if we ever needed the power of God and the demonstration of the Spirit of God in power and the gifts of the Spirit, we desperately need them in this hour. Because not that sin is any greater than it's ever been, or there are new kinds of sin, it's just that there are so many more people now to do it. And that the media is such that news can be spread, it can be transmitted so easily compared to what it was in the beginning. The Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then the Apostle Paul makes a statement at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He simply says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Everyone say ignorant. God does not want us to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, I thank you for the Spirit of God. I praise you for the power of the Lord that I feel in this place this morning. Help us to see as we have never seen before. That the spirit of revelation and understanding be here. That men and women will be able to partake of the supernatural power of God. That extra portion of the spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of 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 Jesus. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Let's clap for the Lord once and just warm ourselves up and loosen ourselves up this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus. The Lord bless you. You may be seated.
I want to make one statement, and I want to make this statement kindly. I'm not making this statement to be vindictive or to throw mud, but I simply want to say this morning that the charismatics are mixed up. They are genuinely mixed up, and they are phasing out. They're not as prominently in the spotlight as they were five years ago. They are beginning to phase out, and the reason they're phasing out is because they refused to go on to greater truth. They refused to put their roots down and become anchored. They were just a bunch of floaters, really, that went from blessing to blessing and prayer meeting to prayer meeting, but they never really got in under any kind of a, an authority. They never really had a shepherd. I read an article not long ago by one of their leaders that admitted that they had missed the Spirit, spirit of God and the will of God and that God was going on to other people. And the truth of the matter is, it's not that he's gone on to other people, he just stayed with us and we stayed with him. That's exactly where it is. But many of those people have come out of that and they're in our ranks today because the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord will lead you into all truth. And he will. The gifts of the Spirit are very, very important. But you must always remember that when you are gifted in the Spirit, what really happens is it does not make you a supernatural, independent entity to operate on your own. The gifts of the Spirit will cause you to enter into another man's ministry, namely a pastor. And the gifts do not supersede the local ministry either. They work together in harmony with what is going on in the local assembly. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We all desperately need each other in this hour probably more so now than we have ever needed each other. I told some preachers not long ago, I said, those of us who think alike and believe alike and are reaching for the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God, we had better hang together because we will hang separately. And the truth of the matter is that we need the undergirding and the strength that we can afford to each other. Let's face it, the world is against us. The devil hates us. He's trying to destroy us. And we need each other because we are born of the same spirit. We belong to the same family. We have the same father. You mean more to me than many of my own relatives do because they're not saved than you are. And you and I are brothers and sisters in the royal household of faith. And it sets us totally apart from anyone else in the world or anyone else you're ever going to meet or become involved with. I don't really think a saint should ever have best friends in the world. Your best friends should be in the church. They should be in the church. And I really believe this particular statement. If you believe God at all, you must believe him for everything. If you believe him at all, you're going to have to believe him for everything. We read the book of Acts and we rejoice and shout and run aisles and get the Holy Ghost because of the inspiration that is afforded to us from that particular book. But let me say this to you this morning. The only reasonable explanation for the apostles' tremendous authority and power in their day is that they believed the Word of God and the promises of God literally. They believed it. They believed it exactly as it was written and as they knew it to be. And we need to return to a real genuine faith in the simplicity of the Word of God. If God said it, I believe it. It's as simple as that. God will make a way where there is no way. He knows how to do these things. As we approach this particular subject today, let me make this statement. There is a difference between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the so-called gift of tongues. 
They are not the same. The operation is different. The result is different. The inspiration is different. There is a vast difference between the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, which a person receives when they are born again of the Spirit, and the so-called gift of tongues, as we say. The gift of tongues is not a Bible expression. It's something we have coined. The Bible says diverse kinds of tongues. It does not say gift of tongues. It says diverse kinds of tongues, and that is divided into two groups, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the great tragedy of the charismatic movement is that they really felt that speaking with tongues was just a gift, that it was a lesser gift. And where they got all that, I don't know exactly where they got it, except that the diverse kinds of tongues is listed at the, near the end of the listing of the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So some groups have said, because it is listed near the end of that particular grouping, that it is of a lesser importance. And so to many people outside our ranks who have spoken with tongues, to them it's just, you know, it's just one of the nine gifts, but it's not the most important gift. Nothing is farther from the truth than that. For example, I was witnessing to a denominational preacher one day, and he was really on my case about this business of speaking with tongues, and he was putting it down, really putting it down. And so <clears throat> I said to him, I said, well, do you, do you speak with tongues? He said, no. He said, it's one of the lesser gifts. He was very indignant when he said it. So I said to him, does anybody in your church speak with tongues? He said, no. I said, has anyone ever spoken with tongues in your church? He said, no. I said, has in the history of your pastoring there has anyone ever spoken with tongues? He said, no. I said, you folks are in bad shape if the least of the gifts doesn't even operate. I mean, you could see fire in his eyes. <laughs> Touche. But that's exactly how it is, you see. There is a difference between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and divers kinds of tongues. They're not the same at all. In fact, all the gifts of the Spirit, say all, all the gifts of the Spirit are attributes of the Spirit. You could never have any of the gifts of the Spirit unless you first had the Spirit. Because the gifts of the Spirit are attributes or workings of the Spirit once the Spirit gets in your heart and life. So you cannot have the gifts of the Spirit unless you first have received the Spirit of God. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. And the gifts of the Spirit do not have to be made to work or forced to work. I've seen congregations just strain and struggle to get the gifts of the Spirit to operate. You don't have to do that at all. The gifts of the Spirit operate automatically when you worship and you are prayed through. When you worship and you love God and you come to give to Him... And the Spirit of God begins to flow and begins to work as it is in this, this conference. There's a wonderful touch of God here. There is hunger and there is reaching. I could feel it last night. As ill as I was last night, your worship pulled me up. It just simply pulled me up because there was strength, strength, tremendous strength in your worship. And the gifts of the Spirit will op operate automatically. In fact, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord inhabiteth the praises of His people. That's why praising and worship is so utterly important in our services. Because worship actually builds a habitation for the Lord to dwell in. 
So then if you will worship God in a great big way and build a great big house for him, he will come and live in that house in a great big way. No worship, uh, no God. That's exactly how it is. It's just exactly that simple. You have to worship. You just simply have to worship. And I'm going to ask again today not to go in and out unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, in the Northeast, we don't allow people to move when the preaching is going on. It's a whole new thing for me to travel in other places. We don't allow anybody to move. Nobody moves. Nobody moves in the Northeast. You'd be surprised how, can, how orderly the thing is. Now, if God moves, that's something different. Or if there's an emergency with a baby, that's something different. But people don't run it out. Catholics don't do it. Baptists don't do it. Lutherans don't do it. Why should we do it? Why should we do it? And our children, our children in my church worship God. They lift their hands and praise the Lord. And they sit on the pew and they get involved with the Word of God. That is the will of God. To train them. Training is a vigil day by day, day by day, day by day, day by day. Train them up in the way they should go and they will not depart therefrom. They will not leave it in the end. They won't do it. Children will get away with what you let them get away with. Because they're smarter than adults. They can read your voice. They, can, they know if you mean it. I've watched children. It's a lot of fun. And I love children. I've given a lot of my life ministry to young people and children. But I have watched mothers scream at a child. And I've watched the children playing on the floor. And they'll cock their head listening. They can tell by the tone of voice if she means it or not. And they keep right on playing. And I've heard them scream again. And the child will cock their head and listen. It's not, not quite dangerous enough, you know. And they'll just stay right there. And all of a sudden, the voice changes. Like the mother just shifts gears and she downshifts. And there's, there's real terror in the lowered voice. And boy, that child will jump and run straight to see what's going on. Because kids can read you. They know what, if you mean it or not. They know. That's just thrown in for free. Let's go on with this. <laughs> Possessing the gift. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are di differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but the same God. In other words, this is very, very important. People are always looking for signs and wonders and miracles, and people get out of wheelchairs and to be healed of this, that, and the other thing. People, there's only one God. There's only one spirit. As easily as you feel God, you can be healed just like that. Because it's the same Holy Ghost, the same Holy Ghost that makes you laugh and shout and weep is the same Holy Ghost that causes tumors to disappear. It's the same spirit. So if you can feel him in one way, why can't you just shift gears a little bit and reach out for him in this other dimension? Don't look for some new spirit or some different spirit. It's the same Holy Ghost. There's only one God, one spirit. The same God that gives the Holy Ghost causes the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. All of those things, it all operates by the same spirit by the same spirit. Some people believe that the gifts are in the church as a whole and not in the lives of individuals on a resident basis. There are some districts apart from us in New York that believe this mess. That's what I call the mess. I don't really think that's true. Uh, but there are some people who believe that the manifestation of the spirit of God is just in the church as a whole. In other words, that God can use at random whoever he wants to use to give a message in tongues, interpretation, or whatever. Okay? So what they're really saying is that nobody possesses a gift of the Spirit. <clears throat> that God can use at random whoever he wants to. If that were true, if that were true, if that was the concept that God used for the gifts of the Spirit, then there would never, ever be a time when there would be a message in tongues with no interpretation. 
because if God at random chose a message giver, he could at random choose an interpreter. But he doesn't do it that way. That's why he says to pray that you may be able to interpret because these gifts are given severally or individually and distinctly to individuals. That's why. That's why. The Bible backs up what I am saying. <clears throat> a person who has received the Holy Ghost automatically has the potential power to manifest the nine gifts of the Spirit in his life as mentioned in chapter 12. <clears throat> but the thing is, God will give you what he can trust you with. God will not give you what will destroy you. And I have known a lot of young people who pray, 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 fast, 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 and lay hold of God to get a hold of something in the realm of the supernatural, and God answers prayer. And if you seek, you're going to find him. That's all there is to it. He'll be there. Eventually, he'll open the door. Sometimes almost against his own better judgment, he'll do it, because we are so persistent. So persistent. <clears throat> but you can get a hold of something if you're not big enough for your gift it can destroy you. I've known men that have destroyed themselves because they were not big enough for the gift that possessed them. They didn't have a hold of what they needed mentally, physically, spiritually to handle such a gift. For example, I don't know why I did this, just plain ignorance, I guess. When I first began to work with all of this, way back there, I used to pray all the time, all the time, all the time for discerning of spirits. I don't know why I prayed for discerning of spirits. It just sounded important to me or sounded sort of mysterious to me, discerning of spirits. And I kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. God, I want discerning of spirits. I don't know why I did such a thing. All of a sudden, something began to come to me and I could see things in the lives of people. I could see I could see, I was very much aware of the powers of darkness. Like one day I was walking through a, a line in a cafeteria, trying to decide what main course to have, and nothing was moving, and I became very much aware of uh, an uncomfortable feeling. I looked up and looked over the counter, and the woman was glaring at me. She had a devil. She had a devil. And she recognized the Holy Ghost in me, and just a coldness came over me. It got to the point where I could walk down the street and I could just, and people would just stop and look at me. I wasn't doing anything. It's just that the Holy Ghost in me, because that particular gift stirred up devils and spirits in them until it became very uncomfortable for me. I remember one service I preached over in Albany. A man who was in the occult came in with his book on occultism and opened it in the middle of the congregation and read all the time the service was going on and the preaching was going on. You talk about a struggle in the spirit of the devil. When I got home that night, I fell in the floor. I said, God, I cannot handle this. I can't handle it. I can't stand what I see in people. But see, I ignorantly got into that. I ignorantly got into it because discerning of spirits is knowing the kind of devils or spirits that people are possessed with, oppressed with, or are afflicted with. And, and I don't pray for that anymore. I don't pray for it. I don't want to stir up all this stuff. You should never stir up more devils than you can cast out. Just leave them there. Just leave them alone. Don't stir up more than you can handle. And I don't pray for all that stuff anymore. I just, I have a hold of it, and if I have to use it, I can use it. 
But I don't just stir up a lot of things. Just live and let live. As long as they don't cross me, they're all right. You understand what I'm saying? That's another reason, like, sometimes <clears throat> we went out to eat last night, but we ate in a, in a private place where there wasn't anyone around. But if you go into a restaurant, a big restaurant, after a powerful service in God, and you're a blaze of glory, and you walk into a restaurant where the music's jiving and hopping and popping and people are filled with the devils and the spirits of the world, you walk in there out of a powerful service, you are going to stir up things, friend. And I've walked in places, and I'm sure you have at times, and they will actually stop eating and just look at you. I've actually you know, sort, of, sort of checked myself over to see if everything was together because it made me feel so conspicuous. And everything was together. Everything was connected. Everything was all right. It's not, it's not anything wrong with me. It is, it is simply that they feel something. When you first get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's like putting a ring on your finger, although I'm not advocating jewelry. It's just an example here. When you first put a ring on your finger, you're very much aware of that ring. You, you twirl it and twist it and work with it and all that. But then after a week or so, it's not so conspicuous anymore. And, you know, you just sort of know it's there, but you don't work with it. Give it six months a year, it becomes a part of your hand. You forget that it's even there. Don't even think about it. The Holy Ghost is like that. When you first get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're very much aware of him because someone else has moved in here. You're sharing this body with somebody else. But give it six months, a year, a couple years, and, and he's just there. And you don't stop to think every time as you walk down the street, I'm full of the Holy Ghost and Jesus is walking down the street in my body. You don't think about that, but he is. And he goes to the grocery store with you. He goes to the laundromat with you. He goes to the garage with you. He goes everywhere. He goes to bed with you because he lives inside of you. You take him to the restaurants. And the thing you must remember is when you come walking through with Jesus, there are devils that recognize Jesus in you. We have a hold of the tail end of the greatest thing in the entire universe. We have a hold. If we ever wake up, Pentecostals, as to who we are and what we have a hold of and how it works, I want you to know the devils will have to back away because greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. There is no competition in this. There is no competition. None at all. Let's clap again for the Lord for just a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me back up here and make a statement. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Once God has ever used you in any one of these capacities, you've got it for life. Once God has ever used you in the realm of the gifts of the Spirit, it's yours. You've got it for life. And that is why some men can still operate even though they're living in sin. Because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. What he gives you, he does not take it back. It's yours once you possess it. And that's why some men can operate even though they live in adultery. The gifts of the Spirit will still operate in their lives. 
although you may begin to pick up and sense in your meter right here. Your, your meter may go like this when you're in the presence. You can pick up a little something that doesn't seem to be quite right, and yet the, the evidence is good, so you just sort of discredit it. But I want to tell you something. When your meter doesn't stay on zero and quiet, there's something amiss. There's something amiss. doesn't always mean they're living in sin, but there's something amiss. There are some people, for example, that I can be around five or ten minutes and I'm ready to go. You're like that, too. It's just that I'm more honest than you are today. There are other people that you can be with 30 minutes or so, and then you're ready to go. Other people you can have around for a day or two, and then you're ready for them to go. Some of you had relatives that come and spend the week. You can hardly wait till Saturday till they leave. Because there are just people like that. There are other people that you can be with all the time and they just never bother you, never bother you. You know what I'm saying? Now that's in the natural. But in the spiritual realm, <clears throat> if, if you're with somebody fellowshipping and they're supposedly saved and they have the Holy Ghost and all this business, and they say the right things and they do the right things, and everything is surface, it looks very good and it's, it seems to be all right on the surface, but if in your soul... You never, ever can quite totally relax. You can't put your finger on it, but there's just something amiss here. You just never can get totally comfortable with that person. There's something amiss. It's a warning to you. The Holy Ghost is a set of balances and checks to help you know to protect yourself. And not everything God tells you, you should tell somebody else. It's for your own personal information so that you can know and be protected. When you can't get your meter to settle down, it just keeps trembling. You know, everything seems to be all right. Everything is, everything's, they say the right things, but you never, ever can get it, just become comfortable with them, relax with them. There's something amiss. There's something amiss somewhere. There definitely is. <clears throat> and uh, it may not be a serious thing. It may be a minor thing, but there is something amiss. Now, I'll be very honest with you this morning, all right? I'm very, very comfortable, brothers and sister Fields. You know why? Because they are Christians, and they are converted. I'm comfortable with you as a congregation. I picked it up right away last night. Some places I'm not comfortable. It's a hassle for me, because there are devils, and there are people that are into vile things. Do you know what I'm saying? And you never, ever can quite relax. I'll tell you one of the worst places in the world is Los Angeles. You talk about devils. You better be called if you go over there to do anything. I mean, you're going to have to have God and Michael and Gabriel to get through it. I mean, there are devils in that area. And if you, if you live around this area and you pastor, you go to church in this area, <coughs> just know you're a special person. <laughs> and that a lot of things that sort of trouble you, if you know what is the problem, you can, you can handle it. If you begin to think that it's your fault and that you're the one that's at fault and that you're failing, then, then it's hard to live for God. But if you know it's not you, that all this is from the outside, it's the devil, you can become personally gleeful in giving the devil a bad time. And you can make the devil so sorry he has ever messed you up. You can make him so sorry that he has ever, ever messed you up. Because you can go after him. We as Pentecostals, we got a lot of things backwards, I think. This business of the devil having us on the run. He doesn't have us on the run. We have him on the run. That's how it is. He, the devil is honestly afraid of you. He's afraid of you. And the devil has no influence but what he borrows. 
and he borrows from us. He does not have influence of his own. He has to borrow from the likes of you and me. And if you cooperate with him, he will borrow your influence and then use you and manipulate you like a slave is what he does. But greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. We have him on the run. The weakest Christian here today, whoever that might be, the weakest one here today, down on their knees praying, the weakest one among us, causes the devil to tremble. I mean, he will tremble in fear. He is afraid. He is afraid of the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. In conjunction with my statement, <clears throat> why some men can continue to operate, let me go a little step farther and say this. Brother Barnes told me this. <clears throat> A man, let's say a preacher, who goes really bad, <clears throat> I know one right now, and if I named him, you would know him. Most of you would know him. A preacher who goes really bad, and he loses the Holy Ghost, really loses it. There is another spirit that will come that looks very much like the Holy Ghost. And if you're not sharp in the spirit, you will not pick up the difference and they'll continue to operate but it's not the Holy Ghost from a distance it may look alright but when you get in among them your meter will begin to go like that because it's wrong there's something wrong there's something amiss and that is the answer to how some people operate people the church should not follow after signs signs should follow the believers Believers should not go skipping and hopping from place to place because of this or that or the other thing. Signs should follow believers. They should just automatically follow us as God works among us in our worship and praise and adoration. Amen? So I'll lift our hands and just praise the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now let's do it again because I want the Spirit of God to begin to really operate and impart to us this morning here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. People have said, people have asked the question in conjunction with the Bible statement, but covered earnestly the best gifts. People have said to me, Brother Strunkin, what is the best gift? I really don't know what is the best gift, except to say this to you. The best gift is the gift that is the most needed at the moment. That's what the best gift is. If you're in need of a miracle, you need the working of miracles. If you need to know something about a situation or about a person in order to help or to save yourself, you had best get a hold of the word of knowledge. If you've got the facts and don't know what to do with them, you had best get a hold of the word of wisdom. So the best gift, as far as I'm concerned, is the gift that is the most needed at the moment. That's the best gift. Whatever you need at the moment, that is the best gift. Everyone say, best gift. Let me tell you what happens to a person who gets involved with the gifts of the Spirit. 
<clears throat> God, I hunt deer sometimes in the fall. I like to hunt. I don't have a lot of time to do it. But when I go deer hunting in the fall, I go in the mountains of New York and I find the trails. You stalk game along the trails that they travel. That's how you get them. You don't just go wandering off through the fields. You, you find the place and you build the deer stand, the tree stand, whatever, and that's where you hide or stay, whatever, whatever. God does exactly the same thing with man. God will stalk man along the trails he travels, emotionally, talent-wise, mentally. For example, if a person is extroverted, outgoing, just not, not inhibited, just, you know, that type of person, that kind of person will end up, if they are spiritual, they will end up with the demonstrative gifts. They're the kind of person that will stand and prophesy, thus saith the Lord, or they'll give messages in tongues, interpretation of tongues, because their personality is geared in that direction. For an introverted person might be very, very hesitant to ever just, you know, stand and prophesy or lift their voice. They're intimidated. Do you see what I'm saying? So God will work with you according to your personality. He will give you the thing that is related to your personality. He'll stalk you along the trails you travel. That's why God talked to Amos about fruit, because Amos was a fruit picker. God knew that if, if he talked to Amos about fruit, that, God would, that Amos would understand him. You see what I'm saying? And you'll find examples of this all through the Bible. And God is still doing this in our particular day. He's still doing this type of thing. For example, basically, I'm an introverted individual made extrovert by the power of the Holy Ghost. I still operate best when everything's upside down and I have, I'm really into it and I don't think what I'm doing or how I look. That's when I really get the job done. That's really when I get it done because you throw reason and logic to the wind. It's my personality. But once I get revved up and get into it, man, I am fearless. I mean, I'll climb over pews or do anything. But now when the anointing lifts, I may slip out the back door just to get away. Do you know what I'm saying? And God works with us according to our personalities, how we are, how we are. <clears throat> and then, of course, the devil will contest what you've got a hold of. He'll contest it. Even though you, you may have the gifts of the Spirit, there'll be a place at which you'll feel like you've lost it. The devil will contest it. He'll contest it. And you've got to possess it. You've got to hold on to what God has given you. For example, let's say that you were used by God uh, in a supernatural way, and then a month or two later, someone else needed the same help, and you went to them, and you were having a difficult time getting the same thing to happen again. It may be that the devil is contesting what God has given you. Like some people who first give messages in tongues and this type of thing. I'll just stop and wait till you come in and get seated. There are so many late arrivals here today. We're glad to have you, but it really plays havoc with my thinking. Would you lift your hands and praise the Lord again? In the name of Jesus. 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 In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you this morning. Pull us together in one mind and one accord. I pray that you will bind everything that is not of God. Help us, O Lord, to understand, to see, to know by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The devil, the devil will contest it. He will try to keep you from getting it. People, you only possess what you use. God told Abraham, I will give you the land. It's all yours wherever you want, but you've got to possess it. And God may give you something, but you're going to have to possess it because the devil will try to take it away from you if he can. He will try to get it out of your grasp. For example, one of the first times I ever interpreted a message in tongues, I was so excited and my heart was beating so hard, right in the middle of the interpretation, I lost it. It does not mean it was not from God. It just means that the vessel was not together. I was not together. I was in San Jose, California, just uh, two or three weeks ago, preaching with a shoemaker. A spirit of confusion had come to that congregation. And on a Sunday, I was very, very, very tired. And it was a Sunday night right after uh, the camp meeting. They have got a service, what is it, at 10 o'clock in the morning, another one at 5 in the afternoon. That's not much time to get yourself together. And here we were in church again, and I was very tired. And there was a message in tongues when I was preaching. And uh, I, I, I in, began to interpret, and right in the middle, I began to lose. I began to lose it. And I had to hold on with all my, with my might to keep a hold of this, this channel between me and God because there were spirits of confusion there. We broke it and things just went, you know, gloriously berserk at the end of that week. But in the beginning, there were spirits of confusion that had come to that congregation. A summer is a bad time. Rarely will you ever have a good meeting the first Sunday after camp meeting because everything is all disheveled. Camp meetings destroy us in the Northeast. I don't know how you feel about it here, but it's hard to get the group together, to get people to church and get back in the groove of their worship. It just happens that way. Conferences do the same thing. So we struggle through. And we were, we were working with that kind of a situation. You see what I'm saying? And you can, you can lose. or you, you have to learn how. You will, you will learn how. It's like praying. The more you pray, the better you get at it. The more you pray, the better you learn to pray. And the more you are used by God, the more perfected you become in it until you don't miss, you, you just don't miss. Anything divine in the hands of man is subject to error and misuse. That's why the gifts of the Spirit take constant regulation. Because someone has to be able to police or to control what's going on so the things do not get out of hand. Do you understand that? Let's leave all of that and get into the gifts of the Spirit themselves. Let's pray again. Jesus, I praise you this morning. I thank you in the name of Jesus for what you have done. In the name of the Lord, help us here this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now... This could get a little fearful here because I'm going to tell you some things that may shake you up a little bit. <clears throat> God is no one to play with. You don't really just do with God what you want to do with Him. You may think you will, but you won't. And this is the fearful thing that we have fallen into here this morning. This, this power of God. 
Man is very proud and arrogant. He feels like he has control of everything and really has control of nothing. I've been so sick this past week. Some little microscopic thing got into my nasal passages and just flattened me. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not all that much at all. Are we? I mean, man is not, he doesn't have that much to brag about or boast over. God could snuff your life out like a candle in the wind. You could be gone this afternoon. God could just reach down and say to an angel, kill him, and you'd be gone because angels don't ask questions like man does. If whatever God commands, they do it. And so God could snuff you out today like a candle in the wind. Every breath you breathe is by the mercy of God. It's by the mercy of God. Let's get into the actual gifts of the Spirit. They are listed. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. I'm going to work with the word of knowledge first. Because the word of wisdom will make more sense to you. If you understand the word of knowledge first. There's no such thing as the gift of knowledge. Because if you had the gift of knowledge, you'd be as wise as God and as smart as God all the time. The Bible says a word of knowledge or words of knowledge. What happens is, just as the inspiration or the unction comes for someone to give a message in tongues or an interpretation of tongues or to give a prophecy, there will be an unction that will come and it's like God whispers secrets in your ear. God will give you words. He will tell you things about persons, places, and things that you could not know unless he told you. Everyone say secrets. Say facts. That's exactly what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 5. When Ananias and Sapphira fell dead, God told Peter he knew by the word of knowledge what Ananias and Sapphira had done he knew and because they were in the throes of great revival when he spoke it the judgment of God fell and they fell dead that's exactly what was happening there it was the word of knowledge that came to Peter and of course the judgment of that thing caused them to fall dead now we're approaching an hour like that again I've been praying for years that there will be a restitution and a restoration of all things let a few fall dead among us. That'll stop all this foolishness. That'll get a bunch of things together. Because people will come through the doors then and they'll be prayed through before they ever come to church. They'll get rid of that mess in their heart at home before they come to the door because they'll be afraid to enter the presence of God. And that's where we're headed, people. You can write it down, date it, put my name near it. That is exactly where this church is headed. We are headed for a complete restoration and restitution of all things. Thank you. 
words came that were phenomenal. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it was unbelievable, but it was this witness of the gifts of the Spirit. It was the, the word of God, the word of knowledge that came to me. For example, when Billy Cole first came back from Thailand, Billy Cole is an apostle to Thailand. He may not be to America, but he is to Thailand. He has seen everything happen that has happened in the book of Acts, except 3,000 receiving the Holy Ghost at one time. He's seen all the rest of it. I could tell you a lot of stories about that, but I just want you to know the kind of a person he is. When he first came back from Thailand, I've never met anyone like him. When he's doing his thing, he's in his element, I've never seen anybody like him. In all driving down into a place called Charleston, West Virginia. Ever heard of Willie Johnson? How many have heard of Willie Johnson? Willie was probably one outstanding ministers that had ever been among us, as far as I'm concerned. Her story was this. Willie was a black woman, and she was the product of a United States senator black mistress. Her father was white, but her mother was black. And in those days, if it had come out, they would probably have killed him or whatever. So, though Willie's father loved Willie's mother, nothing was ever done as far as marriage is concerned. But Willie's father always supported her. She wore the best clothes in school. And she was gifted to sing Somehow or other, Willie's mother wanted Willie to marry into great wealth. And there was a black man in the area that posed to be wealthy. And really, he was called the devil. He was father. But Willie's mother arranged a marriage for her daughter. And it was forced on Willie. But she lived in terrible, terrible life. Terrible life. I met Willie Johnson when I preached at the West Virginia camp meeting. I had heard a lot about her and heard her records, but I'd never met her. And I wanted to meet her. And so when I got to the West Virginia camp meeting, I said to a man, Brother Sorrows, I think his name was, who came from Charleston, I said, Willie lived in your city. I said, would you do something for me? Would you call her and tell her that the evangelist wants to meet her and ask her to come to this camp meeting? He said, well, she'll come be happy. So I got to meet Willie, but before I tell you how I met her, the actual meeting. Before this thing is over, God is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for exactly the same thing he inaugurated and instituted nearly 2,000 years ago. He's coming back for the same thing. That's what he's coming back for. Let me uh, tell you how this thing works so you'll understand it. A lot of preachers and pastors, at one time or another, God has given them the word of knowledge. They have known things about you that you thought they didn't know. Or when you come in for counsel and you sit down before that, it'll begin to work they'll know things and they'll see things and they'll give you answers that are incredible but it's not them 
driving down into a place called Charleston, West Virginia. Ever heard of Willie Johnson? How many have heard of Willie Johnson? Willie was probably one of the most outstanding ministers that has ever been among us, as far as I'm concerned. Her story was this. Willie was a black woman, and she was the product of a United States senator and black mistress. Her father was white, but her mother was black. And in those days, if it had come out, they would probably have killed him or whatever. So, though Willie's father loved Willie's mother, nothing was ever done as far as marriage is concerned. But Willie's father always supported her. She wore the best clothes in school, and she was gifted to sing somehow or other, Willie's mother wanted Willie to marry into great wealth. And there was a black man in the area that posed to be wealthy. And really, he was called the devil, and he was just a pauper. Willie's mother arranged a marriage for her daughter. And it was forced on Willie. But she lived a terrible, terrible life. Terrible life. I met Willie Johnson when I preached at the West Virginia camp meeting. I had heard a lot about her and heard her record, but I'd never met her. And I wanted to meet her. And so when I got to the West Virginia camp meeting, I said to a man, Brother Charles, I think his name was, who came from Charleston, I said, Willie lives in your city. I said, would you do something for me? Would you call her and tell her that the evangelist wants to meet her and ask her to come to this camp meeting? He said, well, she'll be happy to do it. <coughs> So I got to meet Willie, but before I tell you how I met her, the actual meeting, Willie later told me that her husband had seven devils. She would go out and she would preach great revivals, healing signs, wonders, and miracles would happen. But her husband would call her, he would call her Han. He'd say, Han, it's time for you to come home. And she'd have to drop everything she was doing and go straight home to him. And she told me, she said, Brother Stone King, those seven devils would meet me at the city limits when I into the city. And so she suffered. She was abused, suffered terribly. I don't understand this. 
I don't understand this, but there is a connection between suffering and being used by God. I don't understand it, but there really is. There really is. I suppose it's that God can trust you if you have suffered, because suffering worketh patience. It does work patience. And if you're going to be mightily used of God, you better be prepared to suffer in one way or another. And many times you'll suffer at the hands of your own brethren. So I just need to warn you that that's how it is. <coughs> but Brother Charles told Willie that I wanted to come. I understand that she had never been to the camp meeting in the history of the camp, Ground's existence. There were over a thousand people in that camp meeting. And the next night, when Willie walked in, I'm not exaggerating, that woman carried the anointing of God in her body. When she walked through the door in the back, the spirit world changed. I mean, the power of God swept over that place. It was unmistakable. I was on the platform. You could feel the Spirit of God change the moment that woman walked in. Well, then, I said to the superintendent, I said, uh, I want Willie to sing. And the evangelists, I get away with a lot of things. They'll do pretty much what I want to do. And no matter what they get programmed. I said, I want her to sing. He said, all right. He said, ask Willie to come to the platform. When that woman came to the platform, I stood to my feet in honor of this woman of God. She came to me and shook my hand. I'll never forget what I felt. I'll never, I'll never, never forget it. Looking into her eyes was that looking into the eyes of Jesus. I mean, that woman has a hold, had a hold of God. She has gone on to her reward. She passed away a couple years ago. But anyway, she went to the pulpit and she threw up her hands and she said, Glory! And when she said, Glory, the place exploded. I mean, it just simply came apart. Well, <coughs> I mean, the singing was tremendous. I preached and did my thing for Jesus, you know, the will of God, or whatever. Then we went out to eat. Okay? The only place was open in that part of the country was a truck stop. You know what truck stops are, and what truck drivers are. They're wicked. <laughs> Vulgar wicked. And here we were, about ten of us, in this truck stop. We sat down at the big round table, and uh, Billy Cole was there. Billy and Willie were talking, and Willie was seated beside me. Billy was right over here was with Willie, Willie's daughter right here, and there were several other people around this table. The place was packed with truck drivers, whatever, whatever. And uh, as we were talking, we'd just given our order to the waitress. And as we were talking, Billy Cole, tears began to stream down his face. And he looked over at Willie. He said, Willie, sing for me. And I thought, sing for me in this place. That's what I thought, see, that's what I thought. And uh, she said, you want me to sing here, Billy, the way I sing? And Billy said, yeah, I want you to sing. I don't know what was going to happen, but I could feel God. I mean, I could feel God. Willie Johnson pushed her chair back from that table, straightened her shoulders and lifted her I have never, ever, I've never seen anything like it. Every 
people lay down their silverware as this woman, this woman, who was the product of sin, whom Jesus of Nazareth had reached out to and lifted. When she sang, the Spirit of God was in that place. People stopped eating, and we worshipped and spoke with tongues and lifted our hands and cried and lifted in public. I've told you all that so you get an understanding of what this woman of God was like. At the end of that meeting that night on the campground, when Willie walked out of the tabernacle, four grown men came running, screaming, and crying, and fell at her feet and kissed her hands and said, Willie, thank you. Thank you for coming to our coal mining town 35 years ago. I was a boy and I got the Holy Ghost thing. I never saw anything like it. I never saw anything like it. It had, an, it had a tremendous effect on I got to know her. But when Billy first came home from Thailand, he wanted to see Willie because she's from his part of the country and they'd sort of grown up together. He knew her. And uh, he was with his father. And uh, they were driving through Charleston. And Billy said, if I want to Willie's home. He said, Dad, I want to go by and see Willie. And so Brother Cole's father, J.C. Cole, said, ah. He said, you know, Willie used to really preach. I don't have her come to my church anymore. I said, all she does when she comes is just comfort the people, comfort the people. That was Billy Cole's father's valuation of Willie at this time in her life ministry. Nothing more was said. Willie said, well, I want to see her anyway. He said, let's just drive by her house. If the old Cadillac is there, we'll know that she's home. They drove by the house. Clear, clear across town. Sure enough, the old, the old Cadillac was there. So they parked the car and got out, knocked on the door, and Willie came to the door. You know, it's excited to see Billy. They walked in, she hugged Billy, praised the Lord, wept a few tears. Willie went across the room, and she sat down. And she looked across at J.C. Cole, and she said, somebody has got to come. She knew. I 
preached. And um, at the end of the service, it's all over, the altar service is over, I simply called them by name and I said, I'd just like to see the both of you for a couple minutes. And they came into my office and I closed the door and we sat down and I said to them, I said, um, God spoke to me this morning in this service. You got all the answers, you tell us. I said, listen, boy, don't you get with me. I'm in a place to wipe you out. I said, well, I can do it. We cooled off a little bit. And we talked. And I told them more things. God kept telling them more things, see? I kept telling them more things. But they knew it was God, and they began to be afraid. Finally, they cried, and we prayed together. I took him out for lunch. My bark is worse, much worse than my bite. And so I'm just one of those pitiful situations. And I, I love people and want to help you. I just want to help people. So, <clears throat> because, and the thing about it is we're all people. I mean, I get so frustrated with people. It'd be wonderful to have to work with people. But the thing that discourages me is that I am a people too. You know what I mean? It's, we're all alike in this. We need help. So, <clears throat> You know, we finally got the thing straightened around and now everything is living happily ever after. But uh, <clears throat> God speaks to me about a lot of things. I know a lot of things, but I don't say much about it. Because a lot of times God tells me so that I can know to protect myself. And I don't go around digging in people's lives. I'm not interested in knowing what people are into. I got enough things to think about. I don't want to know everything. But I warn you. you to justify themselves. You've got to be very careful in all of this. You've got to know what you're doing. What you're doing. And God tells us things so that we can know to protect ourselves and to save you. I just came from a church. I won't tell you when or just how long ago, but it was a tremendous service. A tremendous service. I preached on worship one night. And I just went berserk. I mean, I just went berserk. I just had myself a total time. I mean, I was into it. Well, <clears throat> the place was just upside down. And that is when God really moved. A lot of things will happen. People prayed through the backsliders were praying through. There was one boy, one young man, who walked in just as I stepped in the pulpit and God spoke to him and said, I want to refill him with the Holy Ghost. So then for me, it was only a matter of going through all the routines to get my hands on him, to get him prayed through. And at the end of the, uh, the message, people were in the altar and I was working with them. I lost track of him. I couldn't find him. And so I went to the back. I said, where did so-and-so go? Where'd they go? Where'd they go? He said, oh, he's right there. I looked and he was bent over in the pew. And so I went to the pew and I put my hands on his back and began to pray with him. Make a long story short, I prayed him through. He wonderfully prayed through. But I got in between him and the pew right into his chest and I was working with him praying with him 
but the people all gathered around, a bunch of people gathered around back there in that corner, and we were just really going at it. And I happened to look over this boy's shoulder into the eyes of a boy and his girlfriend. This just happened a couple weeks ago. And uh, they were both, he was backslidden. I, I didn't know anything about the girl and where he found her. But I knew that he was backslidden. I'd seen him there in that church before. And they had been there on a Wednesday night and they had fought in the spirit. They had scoffed and mocked. Their spirit was ugly. You know what I'm saying? Just ugly. But you know, you just sort of try to ignore people like this sometimes. You just go on and bulldoze over them. And we had done it until now. I looked at them and the look in her eyes was such a scornful look. And he wasn't any better. But at least he looked down. And so I just sort of got out of their line of vision and just kept working with this young man that was speaking with tongues and encouraging him. I thought, oh, just leave it again. Just leave him alone. <coughs> so I left them alone. But when I finished praying for this young man and began to get up again and looked at them, I had to, you know, without being conspicuous. And it was just awful, awful what I felt coming from these kids. Awful. So it just, it just hit me just so fast. I hardly knew what I was doing. I climbed over that pew. And I pointed my finger in their eyes, in their face, and I said, listen, I want to tell you something. Said, you kids are into it sexually, and if you're not, you will be very shortly. I can feel the spirit around you. I said, God has called your number. This is the night for you to pray through. And if you don't pray through, I'm doing this out loud. People can hear what I was doing. I said, you will never pray through. This is the last chance you will ever have. I said, I have fooled with your spirit all the time. I've been here, and I'm not fooling with it anymore. It's all over. You're going to pray through tonight. Well, the boy, boy, I mean, he had had the Holy Ghost before. The girl, I didn't know anything about the girl. She was a Mormon. Oh, the devil. There's a spirit with those Mormons. You meet one Mormon, you've met them all. They all feel just alike because they got the spirit of Moroni. There's a devil by that name. There's a devil by that name. And that's what controls them. There's the spirit that controls the Jehovah's Witnesses. You meet one JW, you've met them all because they all feel alike. You meet one Holy Ghost-filled person, you've met them all because they all feel alike. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? The Holy Ghost. So I didn't know what she was at the moment. The boy began, he took his arm from around her. You know, they were all cuddling and holding hands and kissing back and forth and all this business in church, see. And you could just feel the ugliness around this. So he took his arm from behind her and put it in the air and began to worship God. Well, she didn't like that. Oh, she didn't like that. Because she was losing him, see, and she could feel that. And he began to pray, just really began to pray. And uh, I, I went to, I tried to, I wanted to help her too. I went to lay my hand on her head, and she just pulled her head back and just glared at me and just turned her lip up. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost. I, mean, I didn't have time to think. I just said to her, why don't you just leave now? Well, she jumped up and she ran out. When he saw her leaving, he broke and began to cry. I, I grabbed a hold of him. I said, look, buddy, she's not worth it. She's not worth it. She'll drag you to hell, boy. And I mean, the fear of God, the fear of God began to move in that place. I mean, the fear of God came in that place. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Well, there was a woman, a saint in this church, who had been a move-in to this church, who was really against the pastor, and she had never been able to tell the pastor she loved him. 
I mean, she was, she was causing trouble among the other saints in the church. I didn't know this. She was right behind me. See how God orders things. She was right behind me. When this disgruntled saint saw the look of the devil in that girl's face, it scared her so badly because she knew she'd end up like that. She already knew that she was on her way out. When she saw that, it scared her so badly that she threw her hands in the air and began to plead with God for forgiveness. Well, when she did that, see, that's why we need the gifts of the Spirit. We need to get a hold of this because it will save us. It will give us revival. It will stop all this foolishness. It will stop all this foolishness. She threw her she began to dance and shout. And the, the pastor was right there. He had come to help pray with this, this boy and this, he saw this. All of a sudden, this woman finally, because a lot of things going on here, it took a while, but I'll tell you the end result of this so you don't lose the story. She finally stopped praying after a long, quite a while, opened her eyes and reached her hands out to the pastor and she said, I can honestly say, I do love you. But she said that. The Holy Ghost just fell because saints knew the hatred in that woman's heart. They knew what a miracle this was. But this Mormon girl is now gone. This boy is praying. His nose began to bleed. I mean, the blood began to gush down, covered his tie, his pants, his legs. I said, buddy, don't you stop praying because this is your only chance. We'll mop the blood, but you keep praying. And they kept bringing wet paper towels and we kept mopping the blood. He had broken his nose or something, whatever. And it was something broken. I don't care about all that. We just mopped blood. And after a while, that boy began to pray through and he began to speak with tongues. I mean, we got that kid straightened out. It was then that he asked to talk to me. He asked to talk to me. I took him in the office. He sat down. He said, Brother Stone King, if it had been anybody else but you, he said, I would have put up a fuss. He said, but I knew it was God. He said, what you don't know is we were so close to getting into sex. He said, we'd have been into it before this week is over. He said, and the thing is, that girl was trying to talk me into going to the Mormon temple and being married secretly. He said, Brother Stone King, I knew if I ever did that, I would have sold my soul to, my soul to hell forever. He said, I knew if I ever walked into that Mormon temple and ever went through those secret marriages and those rituals, he said, I knew that I was sealing my doom. He began to cry. He thanked me and thanked me and thanked me. Listen, people. People who really are honest in their hearts will not resent you for trying to help them. The Bible says we're pulling souls out of the fire. We are pulling souls out of the fire. Pulling them out of hell. Hallelujah, Jesus. 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 I thank you. 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 I thank you, Jesus. Impart the gift of the Spirit here today. Help us to never be the same. Help something to happen in this part of California that has never happened again. Let something go out of this prayer and Bible conference that will change souls forever and push back the forces of evil in this area. I ask it to happen in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I command it to be so in the name of Jesus, 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 in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I worship you. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name. 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 Lord bless you. You may be seated. It has to do with the word of knowledge. I think probably you can see how it operates and how it works. But I want to go on now with the word of wisdom. The word of knowledge has to do with facts imparted from God. The word of wisdom has to do with knowing what to do with the facts. You can get facts, but you don't always know what to do with them. For example, when Elisha received the facts concerning Naaman, he knew that he had leprosy. He also knew what to do with the facts. Properly applied knowledge becomes the wonderful wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God in Naaman's situation was to go and dip seven times in the river Jordan. So the facts came to the prophet, but he knew what to do with the facts, and because Naaman obeyed the facts and the wisdom of God, he was healed. He was healed. Jesus wonderfully, wonderfully displayed this in his own ministry. You know, Jesus is really something, you know that? If you're looking for a hero, he, he's the one to pattern after. He has it together. I've never known anyone like him, ever, 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 ever. Do you know that bunch that came to Jesus and said, uh, Master, tell us, you can feel the evil just in their question. Tell us, Master, is it lawful or not to pay tribute to Caesar? We want to know, good Master. Jesus knew. So in his wisdom, Show me a penny. He gave him a coin. He said, Who's the prescription of it? He said, Caesar's. He said, Render unto Caesar's. Unto Caesar's. Let me be Caesar's. To God. He sat. He sat. And you can do it. You absolutely can do it. The wisdom of God really moves through many, many really identify it or claim it, but many, many of our pastors are gifted with the word of wisdom. That's how when you come to them with the problem with all that, they'll give you answers that are incredible. In fact, I had a problem once, and I went to a man of God, and I said, I want to know what to do with this. The answer he gave me, it was so simple, it was so profound, I couldn't believe I thought of it myself. Do you understand what I'm saying? you can just feel like an absolute idiot when, when a man of God gives you a simple answer. I mean, it's just the perfect thing for your situation. And why didn't I think of it? But you don't. It's the wisdom of God. We're really a bunch of sheep, you know that? And we need shepherds. We need shepherds. None of us are law unto ourselves. There are men in this organization I'm in subjection to. I do what they tell me because I'm safe. 
there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And so I'm saying, and you need help. We all need help. Let's leave that, because I want to try to finish if I can. There are a lot of things I want to tell you. We've talked about the discerning of spirits. You know, sometimes you have to identify what kind of a devil it is in order to get him out. I've had the devil speak out of people directly to me and say, I'm not coming out. And I said, oh, yes, you are, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I remember one girl just fell out, just in a terrible fit. The devil's really ugly, you know it? He'll foam at the mouth and claw and scrape and scratch and all that. I don't really know that we should wrestle with the devil. It gives the devil a lot of notoriety. Uh, Jesus didn't wrestle with him. He just spoke to him. I think sometimes we make a big deal out of a little old nobody. The devil's a nobody, really. And this devil said, I'm not coming out, and you don't have the power to get me out. I said, oh, yes, I do. I said, you're coming out in Jesus' name now. And I grabbed her by the head and said, in Jesus' name. And that thing left her. I mean, it just left her, and she broke out speaking with tongues. Now, that is the kind of power that we have a hold of right there. And uh, I have said to devils at times, what is your name? What is your name? And I, I remember one time, the devil said, I'm not going to tell you. I said, yes, you are, in Jesus' name. I demand to know your name. See, to me, this is no big thing. To me, it's nothing mysterious. The things of God are very simple. Really, they are. They're really simple. It's easy to get the Holy Ghost. Get baptized in Jesus' name, repent of your sin, lay hands on, say in Jesus' name, people are healed. It's not mysterious, it just works. It's very simple. The things of God are very simple. We've made a lot of things difficult, but it shouldn't be difficult. It should be very easy. God is all powerful. He can do anything, anytime. Anytime. <coughs> I remember on one occasion, I was in a revival, and uh, there was this woman had come to the revival, she was the daughter of a wonderful saint in that church. And this daughter would come to the altar and she would cry, pray. But the Lord spoke to me and said, don't pray for her. Don't stir up what's inside of her. Just leave it. Because she'll demonstrate and when she does, she'll scare all these visitors away. Because the visitors that were baptized in the visit, they're not going to understand this screaming and writing in the floor. They'll just walk out and say they're all crazy just like we heard. And uh, so I didn't go near her. Well, it made me look like I was being, you know, uncompassionate because I wasn't praying for this poor soul at the altar. And the poor soul at the altar was a devil. That's what she was. And I knew it. So I didn't pray for her. And, and as a result, there were three or four of those denominational people who received the Holy Ghost that night. It was wonderful. But this girl kept coming back. Kept coming back. I never did pray for her. So her mother came and talked to me. Oh, was talking well, if I feel it, I will. If I don't feel it. But one night, I was standing at the altar trying to help someone get the Holy Ghost. And I had my, I had my back to the audience like this, and and I could not get this person to the Holy Ghost. And I could feel this something right here in the middle of my back. It was it was an uncomfortable feeling. And I thought, what is that? It was hindering me, you know. And I thought, what is that? I said, I know what it is. Is she is 
right to exercise her power of the devil against me, to stop me from being used by God. That's what she was doing. That's why she came to give me everything. She was trying to give me trouble. I tell you, friend, you don't give this boy trouble. I'll give you trouble. So, here I was, and I have been a dancer, and I can spin on my feet very quickly. I braced myself. I knew where she was seated, and I knew that she was, I knew she had her attention on my back. I knew she was fastening on my back. So all of a sudden, I went like this, and I caught her just like that before she could possibly turn away. And her eyes connected, and I was right. She was a devil. I walked back to her. I said, I want you to leave now. You see that door? Get out. I know why you have come. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And she just, you know, she got up and she walked out, thank God, and the place just broke open into great revival. Well, <clears throat> the last night she came back. I mean, the devil doesn't give up. She came back. So at the end of the service, she wanted to talk to the pastor. Well, he wanted me to come in and talk with her. Well, it was the last night, and people were shaking hands and whatever, 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 and it was about 25 minutes before I could get from the congregation to his office, you know, saying goodbye. They had a big church. It was, I couldn't get away. What had happened was this. <coughs> the pastor had walked in. He had told her what he felt in the spirit. About 10 minutes later, the assistant pastor came in, and he had told her what he felt in the spirit. When I walk in, 25 minutes later, the pastor and the assistant pastor said to me, now we'll see how much of God you've got. Because we have both told her the same thing. You tell her what you feel in the spirit. I said, let me get myself connected. Because <laughs> I had been out of it shaking hands and fellowshipping, the spirit of fellowship, which is not the spirit of God. I zeroed myself in like this, and I prayed just for a couple minutes, and I could feel the thing I know. I looked her straight in the eye, and I said, this is why you have come. You've come each night to this revival to torment me, try to exercise the power of the devil you possess against the Holy Ghost. You came to make trouble. I said, but it didn't work. I said, we have routed you out. I said, I could pray for you and I could deliver you. I said, but you're a waste of my time. I said, the Bible says bring forth fruit, be for repentance. I said, lady, you once had the Holy Ghost and every night you've come to this revival, you come looking like a Jezebel. You know what God requires. You know what it takes. I said, the Bible says, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. I'm not impressed with these people who come want to pray through. And they come looking like the yippies and the hippies and all this mess. If they meant business with God, they ought to bring forth a little fruit, meat for repentance. They ought to clean themselves up a little bit and make themselves presentable under God. Because they've had the Holy Ghost and they already know what's required. They know what to do. I said, you've brought forth no fruit at all. I said, I can cast him out, but I'm not going to waste my energy because you'll walk right out of this church at the end of the steps out there. You'll pick him up and take him home with you. I said, I'm not going to do it. Well, it was exactly what the pastor and the assistant pastor had told her. She knew then that God had her number. I said, if you ever mean business, I'll be delighted to help you. But until you do, I'm not going to waste my energy. I want you to hear me today. We try to take a lot of people to heaven sometimes with no intention of going. And I don't do it. I will not do it. I would go to hell and back for you if you'll do what's right. But if you don't do what's right, I'm not going to waste time. Life is too short. There are too many who have never heard. Why should people hear two, three, four, five, ten times when others have never heard, even heard it once? 
there are the hungry and the thirsty out there. Let me talk to you a little bit now, leaving that. Let's go to what is called divers kinds of tongues. We say gift of tongues. But let's talk about divers kinds of tongues. This gift is divided into two groups. There is a diverse tongue or a speaking in tongues for personal edification. There's also a diverse tongue or a speaking in tongues for church edification. It is the church edification angle that we call the gift of tongues, meaning that a person will be unctioned by the Holy Ghost to stand and give an anointed utterance that requires an interpretation that God might speak to his people. God still speaks to his people today just as he spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. The vehicle is different, but he still speaks. God still speaks to his people. The amazing thing to me is, you may have talked to Reagan today, you may have talked to Queen Elizabeth, but I talked to God. And God has talked to me right over there in the corner today when I came in here. He spoke to me. That's an awesome thing to have heard from God. We really do hear from God in our services. God really does speak to us. He really does. And so there is a diverse tongue for church edification. But there is also a diverse tongue for personal edification. Now this may help you. I hope this will help you. If you don't know this already. Have you ever noticed that some people when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, that thereafter, almost immediately after, they can speak with tongues very easily, almost anytime they want to. Have you ever noticed that? Some people come to church and just raise their hands and begin speaking with tongues. Why? Because they have a gift of the Spirit. In addition to having the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, they also have a diverse tongue for personal edification which can work with intercessory prayer and groanings that cannot be uttered. But the person who has the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, he comes to church. He does not have a diverse tongue. He stands behind this fellow over here who speaks with tongues just at the drop of a hat. He thinks, I must not have as much Holy Ghost as they got. They speak with tongues easily, and I have to really, I have to really work at this and pray myself through to speak with tongues. And they speak with tongues easily. You can get really confused if you don't understand these things. It doesn't mean you have more Holy Ghost than somebody else if you speak with tongues easily. It means you just have a diverse tongue of personal edification. You may not be as spiritual as the person who doesn't speak with tongues as easily as you do. You understand what I'm saying? And it can be very confusing. But here's the thing I promise you. Now, I went to a Bible school that taught, I don't believe it, but they, they taught that when you speak with tongues, when you first get the Holy Ghost, and you never have to speak with tongues again the rest of your life. I think that's pitiful. I mean, speaking with tongues edifies me. It helps me to know that Jesus is still there and everything is all right between me and him. Do you understand what I'm saying? When a baby is born in the natural, sound accompanies that life as long as they live. When you're born again of the Spirit, you can expect sound to accompany the birth of that Spirit as long as the Spirit stays alive in you. Somewhere, at least periodically, the Spirit of God is going to cry, Abba, Father. You're going to be able to hear the Spirit of God speak through individuals who really have him and he's alive in them. And so, here's something else too. People who speak with tongues very easily, uh, you can develop a prayer language so that when you 
begin to speak with tongues, but you'll notice that it's the same language you spoke yesterday or last week or last month. Well, after a while, just about the time you get to thinking, oh, this is just me, it's the same language, God will give you a new language. And one day when you're praying, God will switch the language and there'll be a whole new language you've never spoken before. And it helps you to know that it's really real. Have you ever listened to, to Chinese speak Chinese? It's a bunch of nothing to me. But to them, it's a whole conversation. <coughs> I am studying Hebrew because I'm very interested in the Jews. Let me say something to you in Hebrew. It'll sound like nothing to you, then I'll tell you what it means. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Had Baruch Hashem Yeshua HaMashiach Asar Shalom. You know what I said? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Blessed be the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of 